There we go. Save that for later. See, Sherilyn, I'm, I'm resourceful. Well, as we got closer and the uh, retirement date was coming, I let Andy know. I said, listen, if, if there's no one, if we are still seeking a pastor at that point, I will go ahead and uh, fill in until we find somebody. I would like to rescind that now and say, I will fill in for a few weeks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Whatever the Lord, Lord has. But it's interesting because in the past, it was, I, I, to be candid with you, I always, when I would fill in, I would go to the lectionary, which is a formal three-year process of what you're going to preach that Sunday. And uh, that way, it just told me what to preach. I didn't get my own personality in it. I didn't have any uh, agenda or whatever to, to do with it. And uh, after uh, doing that for a while, I thought, boy, we're never going to get through Matthew. So then I started talking to Andy and said, I'll try and stay with you with Matthew. You just let me know where, where you'll be in Matthew, and I'll try and get in there. And that, that kind of worked itself out. And then I got to this, and I was like, well, I'm not preaching just one Sunday. I'm preaching eight Sundays. Let me see what the lectionary has to say. And it was like Mark. And I thought, they're going to kill me if I start Mark. So, so I said, I've got to find something else. I said, Paul doesn't let people down. Let's go see what Paul has to say. He's always got something good to say. And I came across a book that uh, a lot of people love and I love as well, and, and that is the book of Philippians. And uh, really started to read um, over and over again, just reading this book, uh, just trying to say, Lord, I, I don't want to have any agenda with this. I don't want to have myself trying to pull out of this what's not there. there are, it's so rich in so many themes in, in, uh, in Philippians. There's service, there's unity, uh, there's, there's life in the body. There's uh, what to do when things are going right, what to do when things are going wrong. There's all of these things. But what struck me about the book is how happy Paul is in this letter. Now, Paul's genuinely, usually a happy guy, but typically when he's writing a letter, he has to deal with something. Like he one time wrote to the church at Corinth, and he was like, listen, just because you're the biggest giver doesn't mean you get to get in line first for communion. You've got to let other people go and be a part of that. And so he had some problems to deal with with that church. And he had to deal with the uh, issues with the church of Thessalonica and then the church at Ephesus and their, their lack of being loving towards one another. He had always had these issues that he was working on. And then I come to Philippians, a letter he's writing just to let people know how thankful he is that they're in his life. A letter he's writing that, that has some great lessons in it, but all through it, Paul just shares how genuinely happy he is. Now, true happiness, I think, is something that evades a lot of people. People seek it everywhere. Did you know there are 459 million search results in Google for how to find happiness? I know. Some are like, go do Zen. Some people are like, get rid of the toxic people in your life. But what if you are the toxic person was my next question to that. You know? <laughs> others were like, think of yourself. Others said, think of others. Some said, get a dog. Others said, don't get a dog, get a cat. Others said, don't get an animal at all. I don't like animals. But they all had different opinions on happiness. And so if you wanted to learn how to be happy, you have 459 million different opinions on how to be happy. And I shared a couple of years ago, Louis C.K. did this wonderful uh, comedy skit on everything is awesome and nobody's happy. 
He's like, we have got the greatest level of technology and all these things that we can have in life more than any other generation before us. And all we do is complain about how slow the phone is. Or that some guy is, uh, you know, texting when he should, when he should be focused on, on a conversation with us. Or some guy in his Tesla has decided that that autonomous mode means he could take a nap. And we have all of these great things in our life. And yet I don't know that we could say that we are any more happy than they were generations ago. And so that is what struck me about this little book. Paul is genuinely happy. Now some people are already saying, well, hang on, we've, we've heard these sermons before. Paul isn't just happy. Paul has true biblical joy, and true biblical joy, that's better than happiness, right? And for years the church has said, happiness is what happens to you. But joy, that's that thing that goes way down deep in your heart. But I almost feel like sometimes that's a get-out-of-happy-free card. That means I can say I have joy even if my face looks like the most miserable person on earth. I'm kind of angry, but that's okay because I've got God's joy in my heart, you know. I can sing, oh, happy day, happy day, brought my tears away. It's like, that's really exciting, you know. Maybe he's happy, maybe he's not. They say, that's okay, I don't have to be happy, I have to have joy. As I was working on this sermon... I was looking at that word in the New Testament for joy. And Paul uses it 15 times here. It's, it's used, I think, over 40 times in the New Testament. If you look at the word for joy in the Old Testament, same thing. You see it all through the Psalms and everything else. And those two words, in both cases, they meant joy. They meant rejoice. They meant being blessed. And they meant happy. So if you were to say, well, God, I'm not very happy, but at least I have joy. Paul would say, what are you talking about? Don't disconnect those two things. Don't rob yourself of the ability to be happy because you think happy is a superficial thing. As you go through this book, you're going to see a guy who goes through trials in life, but who remains happy because that's what God has given him. So for this series, I'm going to ask you to take a little risk with me. Let's put the happy back into joy, at least just for a few weeks. If it doesn't work out, go back to the other two. You do what you want to do. But try it. We've got an eight-week money-back guarantee. Sherilyn said, no, we don't. <laughs> Let God speak to you through this book and see if it helps you discover true happiness. So let's read this morning. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with all of the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory 
and praise of God. So Paul opens with his greeting, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all of God's holy people, grace and peace. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. It seems like Paul knew this church, and he knew this church well, and they knew him, and they knew each other well. Well, every good hero has a backstory. Every good story has a backstory. So what's Paul's in this situation? Well, if you want to, you can at some point look at Acts, look at Acts chapter 16, and you'll see a little bit of that backstory. Paul and Silas and others were on a missionary journey, and they kept trying to go, they tried to go to Asia, and he says, the Holy Spirit blocked me from Asia. Then he tried another country, and the Holy Spirit blocked him there. Then he tried another country, and the Holy Spirit blocked him there. And then he had a vision of a dream of a man in Macedonia calling out to him, saying, come to Macedonia. This is where we need you. So he got up the next day, and he said, guys, I think I know where we're going next. And they started heading out, and they come to this city in, in that region called Philippi. Now, Philippi was a city that was started by Rome. Rome had a shipping port, and they needed a place to stop on the way through. They needed a hub. You know, Aurora is a shipping port. It's a shipping port for Chicago. It connects them to Rockford. It connects them to Iowa. It connects, you've got all these highways here. It was kind of like that, whereas the total intention of Philippi was to be a Roman colony. So they, they lived a pretty good life there because of that, but it wasn't a huge town because it only had the one purpose. So as Paul's coming through there, a woman by the name of Lydia and a couple of other people were going out to this body of water to spend time in worshiping God. They hadn't heard the good news of the gospel yet, but they were people who feared the Lord. And so Paul comes along them, and he begins to share with Lydia and others. And Lydia converts over to Christianity, becomes a Christian, and says, you know, I've got a really big house. If you guys want to continue to minister in this town, you can stay here and kind of consider it your headquarters. And so Paul and his team would stay there, and they'd sleep there, and that's where they would start. And so the first church in Europe began as part of this backstory. This church in Philippi was really the first time the gospel was spread in Europe. Well, as Paul's going through the streets, some little girl that is demon-possessed starts to follow him. And she's saying things you know, that, are, that are truthful. These are men from God. You need to listen to what they're saying. But she's not saying it from the right place. And she says it over and over. And after a couple of days, Paul turns around and he casts the demon out of her. Now, some of you say, well, she's saying things that are true. Why would he want to stop her? Well, I got to thinking, if you've ever sat with Jay Shooty at a Bears-Packers game, you know why the truth eventually starts to get on your nerves. I thought I shouldn't use that, but then I had to use it. <laughs> It's the only shot a Bears fan has at a Packer fan right now. <laughs> and so they throw Paul in jail. Well, first they beat him. They beat him and Silas within an inch of their life, and they throw him in jail. And these guys start singing and praising the Lord, and the church at Philippi is praying for them. And then in the middle of the whole thing going on, an earthquake starts rumbling and blows the gates off, and the, the shackles come off their, their arms. And the guard looks up, and he sees there's a prison break. And he starts to kill himself. And Paul says, hang on, we're still here. Can you imagine the startle that guy had when they were still there? And so he drops and he gives his life to the Lord. And so they're only there a day or two more. But from that moment on, that church in Philippi and Paul were intricately linked in ministry. They were two 
groups of people that served and loved and genuinely cared for one another. Because Paul was the planting pastor of that church. Now this letter, fast forward 10 years, is Paul is in jail in Rome. And this church that loves him and has cared for him for 10 years finds out he's in, he's in house arrest in Rome and they send him an offering and they send him a letter and they also send a member of their congregation to help him and to take care of him while he's there. These people truly loved Paul. They had a very special connection. So then we go on, we read verse 4 and 5. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partners in the gospel. Paul says, every time I think of you guys, I'm happy. Because you and I, we're partners. We are together. Well, what does that mean practically? Partners in the gospel. How does that play out practically? First, for the church at Philippi, partnership and fellowship were the same thing. Look at this group. You've got Lydia, a person of means, a person who runs her own business. Paul and Silas, traveling preachers with a little bit of history for causing trouble. You've got this jailer and his family who are part of the Roman guard. These, what do all of these people have in common? Not a lot. If we looked at this place just from a work perspective, from a job perspective, I heard Jeff, Jeff Jones this morning talking about all the hard work they put in yesterday, Jeff and Kathy, and they said, we're people that just like to work hard. I thought, I wish I could relate to that. <laughs> I always tell people I like to work smart. That just means I like to go to bed early. But, uh, and then you look, and we've got uh, uh, Dennis and I talk IT things before the service, and people avoid us because they don't want to talk IT things, but we like it, we enjoy it, you know. And uh, Joe is gifted with music in a way that I, I could only wish. And, and we all have just different backgrounds, different ways. But something brings us all together. There has to be a commonality about it. I think people struggle with happiness because they're looking for commonalities in all the things out here. And Paul says, you guys make me happy. And it's not because Lydia's got a nice house or because hopefully when we go to make bail, that jailer will be nice to us the next time. It's because... We are all partners together in the gospel. That's what brings them together. They gather together to pray for one another. They gather together to learn more of God's word. They gather together to take this message and share it with the community. These guys were Paul's support team. When Paul went out to Thessalonica, they sent money. When Paul went out to Corinth, they sent money. When they heard that, Paul, uh, that the Jews in Jerusalem were starving and Paul was taking up an offering, they were struggling a little bit themselves but they still took up an offering and sent money. They believed in the ministry of the gospel and they believed in Paul. And everything they did said, Paul, we are with you. If we can't be with you in body, we are with you in spirit. We're praying for you. We are partners with you in the gospel. Happy people are people who live a life dedicated to something bigger than themselves or their own desires. Truly happy people know that the only true focus for that is the gospel. There used to be a group of four men that called themselves the Vagabonds. It was Firestone, Ford, Edison, and Burroughs. These were four heads of state, heads, heads of industry uh, in electricity, in travel, in, in transportation, in, in making tires. And they grew a great friendship out of the fact that all of them were pretty much smarter than anybody else. 
And they all had this shared common thing that they all loved to do. And so they would get together and they would go on these campouts. And they'd sit around the campfire and they would just dream and think and, and have vision. And people would say, well, why didn't they invite more people? That's well, because more people didn't get it. You know, if you go to the Edison Estate in, in uh, Fort Myers, Florida, Andy, you've got time now, you can go see it, the winter estate there, you'll see different kinds of rubber trees and banyan trees all lined up there. Why was that? Well, because Ford's friend Firestone didn't like the type of rubber that he was getting for making his tires. And so Edison just took it upon himself as a good friend to go, eh, let me see if I can figure something out and just start to put it together. When um, Edison passed away, Ford uh, put money in so that his legacy could be honored because he had a trusted friend. These people were partners together in that. They really lived life together for a dedicated purpose. And God calls you and I to be partners together. We talk about fellowship, and that, that word has lost a little bit of its meaning. We think of fellowship as uh, you know, grabbing a cup of coffee outside and talking about the Bears game. We think about fellowship as, you know, if, I'm, if, I, uh, if I go to lunch with a guy at work, we've gone to lunch. But if I go to lunch with Andy, or if I go to lunch with Vince, that's fellowship. The conversation could be the same, but we call it fellowship. But the Bible, koinonia, fellowship, that was, that was something strong. This was a group of people that came together with a singular purpose and a singular focus. This was a group of people that when they entered the room, they, they knew their roles. They knew what to do. They knew how to get things done. This is a group of people who knew that I was going to care for you and love you and pray for you. And so when we have conversations, yeah, it's great to talk about the Bears game. I'm sure Paul and, and Silas and them talked about the greatest gladiator on earth or something like that, you know. Um, but I think they also shared in each other's needs and shared in each other's histories. And I bet they were funny at times. Can you imagine Silas when he goes to tell that story of that jailer situation? And he goes, God made bail. That's how I would tell it. God posted bail for me that night. He did it with an earthquake. And that earthquake knew how to pick locks. And you could have fun with that. And when Paul says, I'm going to the next city, maybe Lydia says, try not to get arrested this time. And they all laugh. Because while it sounds horrible that it happened, great things happen for the gospel for those things. I think that's one of the things I, I, I love about uh, being here is, you know, when you guys would come back from Mission Impossible, and you, you could tell who the Mission Impossible people were because they're all crowded together talking about the, the situation with the truck or the, the, the food debacle of, you know, 2007 or whatever happened, you know, that it, and then talking about how they got it all done or the look on the guy's face when all the materials showed up for the, the, for the thing going, there is no way a group of kids from a school is going to get this stuff built in a week. And then walking away when you're like, there you go. Have a nice day. Cheryl Lynn, when she'd bring people back from mission trips, man, they just, they'd all crowd in the corner. They'd all have stories about, you know, getting lost on the subway train or whatever it was that, that went on. But they also had stories about how they impacted people's lives. And so the conversation for these people was saying, we are serving together side by side. Our primary focus is we are partners in the gospel. Paul's energy and focus was 100%, no matter what was going on in his life, on spreading the gospel and having a gospel partnership. And the challenge for us this morning is, where is our focus? What takes my time? If I'm trying to be happy, and my time is spent on my circumstances, my goals, my dreams, my desires, 
Folks, I will eventually be miserable. I could only take me so far. And God didn't wire me for that anyhow. God said, if you want to be transformational, if you want to enjoy true happiness down in the deep pits of your heart, there's a lot of things in Philippians that talk about it, but it really does start with where my focus is and that my focus is being a partner in the gospel. Sixteen years ago, a group of believers at a funeral dinner began dreaming about a church. At the time, there were plenty of churches in Aurora. What type of church would be unique? What would make it necessary to put yet another church in Aurora? And the discussion turned to a church that was really focused on community. And I think that day, and I, I wasn't there, but for Andy and Gwen and Paul and Cal and others, I think on that day they were talking about a place where a group of believers could come together as servants of God. A place where people would pray together, sincerely being involved in each other's lives and partnering together of spreading the word of the Lord throughout this region and throughout the world. And for 16 years we've lived that out through our gathering of the tables to be with each other and pray with each other through serving alongside Terry and Pat and other leaders at Hesed House, mentoring at Wayside, giving and serving at Teen Night, going to Kids Hope, uh, having a children's uh, ministry that now runs during the week, being dragged around the world by Cheryl Lynn to learn about what our missionaries are doing, giving to those missionaries, being dragged around the United States by Paul House going, I don't know how to swing a hammer, but he says, that's okay, you can drive the car. We've grown with each other as Jay challenged us in our wallets at Crown, as people break bread at Exhale and M3, and as people come together in one-on-one -on -one to learn about what the Lord is saying in each of our hearts. God calls all of us to be partners in the gospel. And there is no greater happiness than being a gospel partner. Verse 6, Paul doesn't stop at just saying we're partners. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion of Christ Jesus. You know, this is probably the closest we see to a complete de definition of a true Christian. Andy, in his message last week, I, I really appreciated a lot of things you said, but one of the things you talked about was how much the church in recent history is focused on saving souls. But we weren't called to save souls. God saved souls. We were called to make disciples. We're called to see people grow in their walk with the Lord to where they are servants of Christ, to where their waking moments are thinking about what's going on in God. We're called to be a part of that sanctification journey. We're called to serve and to make disciples. And the Bible is flush with examples of people who thought salvation was enough. Jesus, in his own parable, talks about the, the uh, seed that falls on the rocky soil. Springs up quickly, right? But what's wrong with it? There's nothing underneath it. And so it springs up quickly. They pray a prayer, and there's nothing around it to help, so it withers and dies. But you've got to plant that seed in the good soil. And that good soil is the church, and the church raising up disciples. And so when Paul talks about this, he's saying, I know that God started something in your hearts and your lives, and I know that God's going to complete it because God doesn't stop what he starts. He finishes it all the way. But the other thing I want you to remember is Paul didn't write this letter to an individual. 
We use this passage so often when we're at uh, graduation ceremonies at a Christian school, we, we talk about it, or at a youth group retreat, they'll talk about it, and they're talking about the kid. Or if someone's going through a rough time, we say, God started a work in you, and he's not going to give up on you. He's going to go. He's going to go. And all of that is true. But it's also true for the church. Paul is saying to this church, after 10 years of serving with all of you, I know God is going to continue this church on, even in my absence. Even if I never make it back to another Sunday at the Church of Philippi, I know God has got great things for this church body. And God is going to continue on. Andy and I were talking, and, and uh, originally I was going to name this uh, a Vision Sunday sermon, because this is about the time when, when this church usually talks about church vision. And I was sharing it with Haley, and I was like, I could do a slide, and it would be like 2020 vision, and a guy with glasses, and Haley said, are you doing that because it's 2020, and you think you'd be clever saying 2020 vision? I said, Yeah. And she says, you know every other pastor on church this Sunday is going to have a dumb slide up there about 2020 vision? You can tell her she's a brat when you see her, because it ruined it for me. It killed it right now, man. It just destroyed it, you know? (laughs) She even made a meme about it, just to say, you know, all the pastors in 2020 vision, her going, ah, like that. When I came to this church, I didn't come to this church for a vision, if I'm honest. I came to this church because I sort of ran out of churches to try. We'd, we'd bounced around churches in all of Aurora, everywhere, and, and just couldn't find anywhere where we fit. And we said, we'll give it some time, we'll stay. And Andy came to me and he's like, so what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't want to do nothing. Let me sit in that chair, let me sulk, and let me just, just, just leave me alone, okay? And he's like, fine, I'll leave you alone. And he did, until I said, stop leaving me alone. Actually, no, he, he actually came to me one day and said, would you mind filling in? He's so sneaky that way. See, I can heckle back and forth. They couldn't go both ways. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but as I stayed every Sunday, this church challenged my understanding of what a church's priority should be. This place wasn't trying to figure out the next program that was going to be a success. This church wasn't trying to put together what, uh, get a count of how many were going to be here each Sunday to figure out how to get more here the next Sunday. And there's nothing wrong with programs, and there's nothing wrong with counting, so long as the counting and the programs aren't what's driving your church. And I can tell you as a leader, it's very, very hard once you've entered into the world of programs to get out of being in the world of programs. This church just said, We're here to serve Aurora. We're here to pray for each other around these tables and then to go out. And it was like they announced that Terry's going to lead Hesed House. But I looked and River Valley's name wasn't on the Hesed House website. And then I found out these guys were connected with mentoring and stuff at Wayside Cross. I'm like, man, I've worked with Wayside Cross. I've seen a lot of church names. I've never seen this church's name on it. And it started to dawn on me, for some reason, we're here together to serve God and we don't even want credit for it. That impressed me. That was really, really cool. The vision of this church has always been the fellowship of the saints and to reach out and serve Aurora. The emphasis was never on how many can we get on Sunday morning, but more on how we can grow and serve together. The irony, uh, one one time I looked it up, there were uh, six churches that started the same Sunday this church started. Did you know that? In this area, six churches that all started on the same Sunday. I knew there were three. I found three more. This is the only church left. It breaks my heart a little bit. 
And I know at least two of the other guys. Well, I know three because I'm one of them. And I know where their focuses were. And as much as we all lied to ourselves and said it was on serving, we were all trying to get ahead in some way or the other, if we're all honest with ourselves now. And again, I, I don't denigrate things that are growing, things that are happening. And so this church, who doesn't even spend enough money on marketing budget, just seems to attract people coming in. And the people they attract are people who want to go out and serve. And with no seeker-sensitive or seeker-focused message to it, the gospel is heard and people's lives are transformed and saved. And I'm looking and I even see people in this church this morning that I know that when they came here, they weren't believers. And they are now. Because that's what God laid on this church's heart. The fellowship of this church was to be a group of people who partnered in the gospel. A few months ago when the uh, search team stood up and announced that there would be a search team formed and that Andy would have a retirement date, all of us got caught in that, out there. I'm just trying to refill my water before Joe's next song starts. And, uh, you know, we don't always refill before the next song, but pretty close to it. And uh, people are talking to me. And this couple came up to me and they said, they asked about how it was going and everything. And I, I shared what I could. And they said, well, the day uh, Andy's last Sunday is also our last Sunday at River Valley. And I was like, oh, uh, why is that? Are, are you moving out of the area? No, we're going to go try and find another church. Well, why, why are you trying to find an, another church? I'm confused. And they said, well, you know, because it just isn't going to feel right without Andy being up there every Sunday. And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, you know, Andy's not going to be at the next church either, right? I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> He's not going to be there. But what will be here is those people who you've been praying with at your table. What will be here are those people that you've been serving with at Hesed House. What will be here are those people who believe in you and who believe that God has started a work in you and He is not finished with it yet. God's vision for this church doesn't go away when the founding pastor retired, just as God's plan for the church at Philippi did not die when Paul could no longer be with him. And Paul goes on to say, I can feel this way about you because I know we've got each other's back. We're partakers of God's grace. We are here because God has done a wonderful thing in our lives. We know who we were before Christ and we know who we are now. And whether I am Apostle Paul of first century Billy Graham on a crusade, or whether I'm Apostle Paul, prison number 14376 in the Roman penal colony system, you guys still love me and you guys still believe in me. Happy people form these gospel partnerships and the storms of life do not break those connections. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week. Paul says, I know I can feel this way about you because no matter what happens in my life, no matter how embarrassing my situation gets, I'm under house arrest. There are people who don't talk to me anymore, but I know you do because what we have isn't founded here, it's founded here. And finally, and I close with this, Paul closes with this wonderful, wonderful prayer in verses 9 through 11. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the, glorious, to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays that their love may abound. Love of what? Of church? Love of Christ? Love for the lost? Love for each other? I've got to steal it now. We're going to go with D, all of the above. 
Just hit me. Thank you. I think Paul leaves it open. And I think he loves it open because he's calling them to have the mind of Christ. And in that mind, there is genuine love. But Paul ties that love to knowledge and discernment. It's not just that I want you to love well. I want you to grow in your knowledge of God and his will. I don't think you can achieve true Christian love without gaining knowledge in the things of God. And I've seen plenty of people who try to be a student of Bible without love, and all they're really doing is gathering information. The two go hand in hand. So Paul prays that they grow together in love and in knowledge. And Paul says he prays this <clears throat> so that they will be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul says, I don't want to be good for you. I don't want good to be good enough for you. I don't even want better to be good enough for you. I want the best for you. And my prayer for you is that you have the best love. My prayer for you is that you grow in knowledge of God, and my prayer for you is that you grow in knowledge of each other. You really get to know who each other are. And I know that God is going to continue to grow you and mature this body of believers. That's a gospel-centered prayer, folks. That's a prayer that says, I want you to be more with Christ in 2020 than you were in 2019. More with Christ in 2021 than you were in 2020. I pray that you would just keep growing and continuing on because I love you. And this prayer is for you and this prayer is not for me. And Paul is saying that for that church. That I pray that that church continues to go on and grow and believe and be more mature in who Jesus says they can be. And so that's my challenge as we look to communion this morning. Communion is a wonderful opportunity to uh, come together and to take a moment and to remember that we were all bought with a great cost. Paul says on the night Jesus was betrayed, he brought the disciples together and he broke the bread and he gave thanks and said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, drink of this and do this in remembrance of me. And he said, whenever you do those two things, you are proclaiming that you are living life because of my death, and you're going to proclaim that you will be with me until I come again. And so this morning, as you go to prayer, and you have the white slips of paper, and you're writing those things on there that you want to send to the Lord, I ask that you have Paul's prayer in your heart, that we grow in love, that we grow in knowledge and depth of insight, that we discern what's best, that God would make us pure, we would walk in purity, and we'd be filled with the fruit of righteousness and have that love and knowledge and discernment. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you so much for being a God who calls us, for being a God who knows that we can't be happy sitting on the sidelines, that we can't be happy just focused on ourselves, but that you have given us such a depth and heart of love that that needs to be shared with other people that needs to be part of a bigger community. Lord, I pray that as we look forward into the next several weeks and months, as I pray as we look forward in, into a new leader in this church eventually, that this continue to be a church that grows in love. That this continues to be a church that grows in the knowledge and the ability to discern what is of you and what is not of you. That you would fill us with the fruit of righteousness and that all of us together would glorify you. It's in Christ Jesus I pray. Amen.